Chronicles 19. First Chronicles 19. This study tonight, the content is really, it's one of those important topics and, and it goes along pretty much with our study a couple of weeks ago where we talked about people becoming little gods in other people's life when they're going through a tough time and a trial and we many times as friends and loved ones, we hate to see them suffering. We hate to see them going through pain and we tell them, oh, you know, God doesn't want you to be sad. God doesn't want you to hurt. God doesn't want, as if we knew. And then we change the course of their life because we're close to them and they listen. And yet we may be diverting them from the very path that God has set them on. And it's very careful that we don't do that, that we pray for them. We pray for God's will because we don't know what it is. We don't know what God wants to do in that person's life. Well, this study tonight is along the same vein as that, but in a little different way. It's about jumping to conclusions or having suspicious minds. Because, you know, we run on emotion so much rather than on sound judgment. The Ammonites in our study tonight were a constant enemy of Israel. And they were at their strongest during the time of the judges. David was the first military leader of Israel to crush them and to put them out of action and to keep them from causing any more trouble for many years. David didn't want to make war. David is on the defensive here, as he was most of his life. And as we've seen, God's people, we will usually find ourselves on the defensive. And as we mentioned in chapter 18, we're in a war, a spiritual war. And that's why Paul urged the Christians to put on the whole armor of God. Now, again, what's armor for? For marching? No. Is the armor to put on to impress other people? No, it's to protect someone in battle. We're to put on the armor of God so that we can stand in the fight. You can't fight lying down. You can't fight running away. We have to stand to fight. The sad thing is that too many of God's people won't stand. They'll lie down or they'll run away. David, in our story, wanted to repay Hanan's kindness for Hanan's father's kindness to David. So David sends messengers to Hanan with a message of comfort after hearing about Hanan's father's death. So he wants to send his condolences. Now, it's the right thing to do, and good people should be neighborly and grateful. David will pay respect to Hanan because they were friends. They were neighbors. And Scripture teaches us to be well-mannered and kind to all and respect all men. In Ephesians 4.32, we are told, be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Philippians 2, 3, and 4, Paul said, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. But besides this, David remembered the kindness that Hanan's father showed to him. And if you've received it, pay it back. If you can, and when you get the chance. So let's begin now in chapter 19 with verses 1 through five it happened after this 
that Nahash, the king of the people of Ammon, died and his son reigned in his place. And David said, I will show kindness to Hanan, the son of Nahash, because his father showed kindness to me. So David sent messengers to comfort him concerning his father. And David's servants came to Hanan in the land of the of the people of Ammon to comfort him. And the princes of the people of Ammon said to Hanan, do you think that David really honors your father because he has sent comforters to you? Notice the suspicious minds. Did his servants not come to search and to overthrow and to spy out the land? Therefore, notice Hanan took David's servants and shaved them and cut off their garments in the middle at their buttocks and sent them away. Then some went and told David about the men and he sent to meet them because the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, wait at Jericho until your beards have grown and then return. Because of Hanan's evil princes, his counselors, his leaders, and because of their suspicious minds, Hanan became overly suspicious about what David was planning on doing. And then it brought disaster upon himself. You know, people who are shady and plan to do wrong, they're quick to get jealous and to think that people are going to do them wrong for no reason. Hannon's servants suggested, you know what, Hannon? I'll bet you David's men are coming to spy on us. Now think about it. David was a great and powerful man. David didn't need to do something like this behind his back. If David planned on spying on them, he could have done it out in the open and with force. And there was no reason to do it without them knowing. Not only that, why would a good, respectable man like David do such a terrible thing? And yet Hanan listened to his counselors. And as a result, he treated David's men very wickedly. Here's what's really sad. And it's because of our fallen nature. But man tries to figure out somebody else's reasons for doing things. And the sad tendency is to quickly jump to conclusions. Like, oh, there's some conspiracy behind what they want to do. They want a second guess and they'd rather think that something was wrong and they had wrong motives for doing something nice. Proverbs 18, 13 says, He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. Don't jump to conclusions. Know the whole situation before believing what you heard somebody say, even though they're a close friend. And then opening your mouth or taking action based on what you heard without finding out what the facts are. And that goes on in churches all the time. It's one of the most upsetting things because it bring, it wreaks havoc on the church of God and his people. What this shows us is a sign of a man's own awareness of his own untrustworthiness or badness. We think of others the way we would have done the act ourselves. Hannah's suspicious and mean counselors judge David by their own unkindness. They're the ones who would have used this, this chance to spy out a neighbor's land. So they felt sure that that's what David was up to. Listen, do you have to have an explanation for everything that somebody does? Or wants to do, and especially something nice? 
You see, the suspicious mind hurts people and the church because they start rumors, jealousies, divisions, and they create hostility and they separate friends. Let me read from you, or I'm going to paraphrase it as I go along. Joshua chapter 22, because we have that exact same thing here. In Joshua 22, we read, Then Joshua, if you remember the, 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 the tribe of Reuben, Gad, and half Manasseh, and the half tribe Manasseh, remember when, when they were given the promised land, the, they went into Canaan, they wanted to stay on the east side of Canaan because there was grazing land there, they had a lot of cattle, and, and they thought it was best for their, for, their, for their cattle. And so they wanted to stay there, and Moses said, Look, we're going to the promised land, we fight, you fight with our, 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 our army, you fight with your brothers and sisters, and you take the land, and once we have conquered the land, you can go back and live on the east side of the Jordan, though that wasn't what God wanted for them. But that's what, that's what, what, that's what had happened. So it says, Joshua called together the tribes, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and he told them, look, You've, you've, you've done just exactly as Moses commanded you. You went, you fought, and, and you know, we're through now. And so now you can go back, and, and you can, you know, uh, go back to the land that he promised you, and you can, you know, start your lives there. And, and you know, but he's, he warned them. He said, look, love the Lord your God, walk in all of his ways, obey his commands, hold firmly to him, and serve him with all of your heart and with all of your soul. So Joshua blessed them, and he sent them away, and they went home. But notice, while they were still in Canaan and they were on their way to the east side of the Jordan, the men of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they stopped right at the border, right before they crossed over, and they built, in, Gil- in Jeliloth, they built an a altar near the Jordan River. And it, it was, a, it was, a, it was an, a large and imposing altar. Now look, at this is what, listen to what happens now. It says, the rest of Israel knows, heard about it. They just heard about this altar that they, that these three tribes had built an altar at Jeliloth at the edge of the land of Canaan on the west side of the Jordan River. It says, so the whole community of Israel gathered at Shiloh and they prepared to go to war against them because they had heard about this imposing altar. But first they sent a delegation led by the priests. Thank God they did that. They said they sent them to talk with the tribes of Reuben, Gad and Manasseh. When they arrived in the land of Gilead, they said to the three tribes, uh, notice, they said to the three tribes, the whole community of Israel demands to know why you are betraying the God, betraying the God of Israel. How could you turn away from the Lord and build an altar for yourselves in rebellion against him? And today you are turning away from the Lord. Notice all the accusations they have made and are ready to go to war because they heard heard about this altar at the edge of Canaan. They were accused, of, they were getting ready to go to war. They were, they were accusing the, these three tribes, their brothers and sisters, uh, of betraying the God of Israel, of turning away from God, of rebelling against God, and turning away from following the Lord. All because of something they heard. So what happens was, they, they come and they tell this to the three tribes and the three, the, 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 guy, the three tribes said, the Lord, the mighty one is God. The Lord, the mighty one is God showing that, no, we worship the true and the living God. This is the truth is, they said, we have built this, this, this 
um, we decided to build this altar not for burnt offerings or sacrifices because the community of Israel thought they were going to worship on this other altar. The main altar to worship was there in Canaan. There was no second altar where they could worship. But they thought this second altar, the people, these three tribes were going to worship there, their sacrifices and their offerings, which you know, was against the law of God. But they said, no, we decided to build the altar not for burnt offerings or sacrifices, but as a memorial to remind us of the great and almighty God. And to cut, to make the story short, is that when the priest heard what the, what the three tribes were doing, he was satisfied, went back and told the people, and the people were happy about that. But think of it. They were ready to go to war. They were accusing their brothers and sisters of all kinds of things because of something they heard. I mean, and, and, and again, it's an example of, of what we have to learn not to do. Because of bad experiences. You know, in the past, you know, it, it's easy to, to be suspicious of everybody. Questioning every move. Trying to second guess their motives. But you see, that doesn't make for building good and lasting relationship. You know, I wonder why they did that. Well, I wonder what he meant by that. Always watching and analyzing and criticizing every move or listening to every word. Always looking or listening for some kind of hidden message. Now, we do need to be watchful and wise. And we need to have discernment. When we deal with other people, but we shouldn't think that everything people do is going to be something evil. Paul said in first Corinthians 13, five to seven, love does not behave itself rudely. Love thinks no evil. It bears all things, but believes all things, which means love gives the benefit of the doubt. It hopes all things and it endures all things. This means love never gives up. It never loses faith in people. It's always hopeful and it endures through every circumstance to the end. And when people mess up, it doesn't, they don't look at that as, as, a, as a final failure on that person. Thinking that person will never be any good. None of us are good. Paul said in Romans 3.12, there is none who does good. That must mean we're not good. He said, not one. And, and many times, you know, if you, if you have a question, if you could ask me, talk to me, go to Pastor Tony. But don't get around in the circles and carry on. What did you hear? And well, you know, I can't believe that's going on. And I can't believe Pastor Joe's letting that happen. And I can't believe and I go on and on. Come and I, my door is always open. I encourage people to come and talk. Rather than just listen to the junk that floats around the church all the time, many, many times. It's sad. I've seen it over the years. It destroys relationships and it divides the body of Christ. Now, these men that were treated so poorly by by Hannon's men. You know, they, they had beards, they wore beards, they Israelites always wore beards to be shaved against your will was an, was was embarrassing. But to insult them even more, these men were also left half naked from their backside down. And when Hannah did this, he humiliated humiliated these men and insulted Israel. 
But rather than admit, I messed up. Rather than admit, I made a terrible mistake and ask for forgiveness and make things right, Hannon spends a lot of money to cover up his mistake. But his cover-up costs him a lot more than he bargained for, and we'll see that in chapter 20. And our mistakes usually do. They usually end up costing us more to cover them up than confessing them openly, like David and Bathsheba. Bathsheba. Rather than adding to a mistake by trying to defend yourself or blaming somebody else, making excuses, or seek forgiveness and reconciliation as soon as you realize your mistake. You will save yourself and others a lot of pain, trouble, and humiliation. As the proverb of the ancient says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked. 1 Samuel 24, 13. In other words, from evil people come evil deeds. The wicked person will speak wickedness and will do wickedness. And he will destroy those that speak right with lying words. Isaiah 32, 6 through 7. Leaders ought to protect their servants. And think of that. Not only are we to deal with those that that aren't behaving biblically, who might make an accusation against you, But our job is also to protect you from false accusations. So it goes both ways. You know, think of yourself, how do you like to be on the other end, on the receiving end of a false accusation like people making against people in the church? And you really don't know what's going on, but because everybody's talking about it, it must be right. We're to protect also the body of Christ, the servants of God. From, those false, from any false accusation or anything, that, again, that, that isn't true. So we are to protect our servants and with the greatest of care to be concerned for them, especially if they, if they lose anything or, or they suffer any damage. And David did that. He cared deeply for his servants. And he tells them in verse 5, guys, go wait in Jericho until your beards have grown and then return. And you know what? Jesus will do the same thing for his servants. And let all leaders do what's right and fair for their servants. Don't be suspicious. Don't jump to conclusions. As the Bible says, think the best, believe the best, love others. Remember that everybody finds just what they're looking for. If you look long enough and close enough, you will find the imperfections that you're looking for. Isn't it irritating when you have something that's really nice and you show it to somebody and go, oh, it's got a flaw. They don't look at the whole, they don't look at the, they want to find that one little thing that's wrong with it and let you know. Oh, it's, it's chipped. It's scratched. You'll always find something that you don't like if you're looking for it. But you'll always find something that's good and beautiful if you're looking for that. Now, over the years I've heard, Oh, I love this church, and this is my church, and I'm so God, glad God bought, brought me here, but the first little thing that goes wrong, off they go. Many of them now are gone because they believe some rumor or they thought something was going on that shouldn't be. Never came and asked, never talked to the people that, that know what's going on. They believed what they heard and, you know, broke up relationships and fellowships and that's what it does verses 6 through 19 
When the people of Ammon saw that they had made themselves repulsive to David, Hanan and the people of Ammon sent a thousand talents of silver to hire for themselves chariots and horsemen from Mesopotamia, from Syrian Maacah, and from Zobah. So they hired for themselves 32,000 chariots with the king of Maacah and his people who came and encamped before Medeba. Also the people of Ammon gathered together from their cities and came to battle. Now when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the army of the mighty men. Then the people of Ammon came out and put themselves in battle array before the gate of the city, and the kings who had come were by themselves in the field. When Joab saw that the battle line was against him, before and behind, he chose some of Israel's best and put them in battle array against the Syrians. And the rest of the people he put under the command of Abishai, his brother. And they set themselves in battle array against the people of Ammon. Then he said, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the people of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will help you. Be of good courage and let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near for the battle against the Syrians and they fled before him. When the people of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fleeing, they also fled before Abishai, his brother, and entered the city. So Joab went to Jerusalem. Now, when the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they sent messengers and, they, and brought the Syrians who were beyond the river. And Shapak, the commander of Hadadezer's army, went before them. When it was told David, he gathered all Israel, crossed over the Jordan and came upon them and set up in battle array against them. So when David had set up in battle array against the Syrians, they fought with him. Then the Syrians fled before Israel and David killed 7,000 charioteers and 40,000 foot soldiers of the Syrians and killed Shopak, the commander of the army. And when the servants of Hadadezer saw that they were defeated by Israel, they made peace with David and became his servants. So the Syrians were not willing to help the people of Ammon anymore. One sin always leads to another. And what Hanan's counselors did led to an unnecessary bloody war. And I am sure that Hanan regretted what he did to David's messengers as soon as he did it. But then it was too late. It's a rule of God's moral law that even though our sin may be forgiven, you will still reap the consequences. I've heard people say, oh, I, I asked God to forgive me and I, and, I, and I made things right, but why am I suffering? Well, God promises to forgive you, but he doesn't promise to take away the circumstances. You reap what you sow, the Bible says. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. Always remember that confession and forgiveness does not stop the harvest. And I'm sure it didn't take long after their foolish act to make Hanan's leaders aware that sooner or later there was going to be a terrible price to pay for what they did. The fear of payback and a guilty conscience, they go together. The reckless behavior of one moment is predictable. It will lead to consequences that will lead to total ruin. That's what happened here. The consequence of one impulsive act was the destruction and ruin of a nation. Proverbs 29, 20 says, Do you see a man hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. It's important to notice what Joab did. 
before going into battle. Joab was David's mighty general, his mighty commander. Joab was an expert planner and a great warrior like his chief David. Yet what he did here and what he said shows us his modesty and his magnificence. And it was written for us to take note of. His words are an example and a description of courage. Verse 13, he tells them, hey, guys, be of good courage. A courageous heart is needed. In this battle of the Christian life, in this journey, in this pilgrimage, we need to have a courageous heart. Because there are going to be a lot of things that come against us. Action needs motive. We need a reason for going for it. We need courage. We need a motive for going for it. What's going on in the heart explains what's happening in the life outwardly. And in today's warfare, science and skill are a lot more important than they were in David's time. In David's time, it was all about individual qualities. It was all about character of the hero. That was almost everything in the conduct and the result of war. But if a, a country is to be defended or it's to be delivered, the people and their leaders have to have a brave and confident heart. And then he says in 13, verse 13, he says, let us fight bravely. This is the conduct of the brave. Fighting bravely. A brave heart will show itself in its brave actions. And it's the same in all areas of our life. It's not the dreamer or the wise, but the man of determination and energy who will win the battle. And then the motive of the brave, verse 13, he says, notice, who's he doing it for? He says, do it for our people and for the cities of our God. That's the motive of the brave. It wasn't just for, for more power or, or, or you know, a greater reputation. It wasn't with aggressive, ambitious purposes that the Israelites went into battle. It wasn't about them. And a lot of wars have started for the wrong reasons. But this was for the country's good. Notice the confidence of the brave. Joab said, you know, after he said, be courageous, be, you know, uh, fight bravely. And after he did and said all of these things, then he said, you know what? Let the Lord do what is good in his sight. This was his display of faith, trusting in the hand of God for the outcome. Joab had put all of his trust in the wisdom of the Most High God. A decision, it was a decision by Joab to leave everything in the good hands of the Lord. And the soldier will go bravely into battle. The laborer will go to work. The, the, the martyr will, will go to his suffering when their heart is inspired. Knowing that God is with them. And that God favors them and God supports them. The psalmist said in Psalm 125, 1, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. We see a lot of people who seem to follow every new fad or idea. These are unstable people. And that makes them unbelievable or unreliable, I should say. Because every new thing that comes along, there they go. Oh, this, they're doing this over here and oh, they're doing that over there. The secret to stability 
and steadfastness is to trust in God. No matter what the circumstances are around you. Because God never changes. God is our rock. He's our anchor. He's our stability. And He keeps us from being tossed and fro by every new thing that passes through the land. God, our God, cannot be shaken by the changes in our world. And He endures forever. But the fads and the ideas of our world, they won't. They come and go. The Ammonites and the Syrians surrounded Israel. And Job naturally was concerned. I mean, he clearly saw the danger. So he does his best. He does what he needed to do. And then he cast himself and his problem upon God. Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 6-7, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, casting all your care upon Him. We often worry about our position and our status, hoping to get recognized for what we do. But Peter, Peter tells us in this verse to remember that God's recognition counts more than man's approval. We want God to be glorified, not me. I want God to get the glory, not who I am. God is able and willing to bless us, but He's going to do it in His time. Humbly obey God no matter what your circumstances are, even in the heat of the moment. And in God's time, either in this life or the next, He'll honor you. When we worry, man... And we stress because of our daily struggles. It is showing that we haven't trusted God totally with our life. You know, worries are kind of like a rocking chair. There's a lot of movement, a lot of action, but you ain't going nowhere. It takes humility to recognize that God cares. It takes humility to admit, you know what? I need your help, God. It takes a humility to admit to others in God's family, I need your help. And we're told to, to, to bear one another's burdens, to pray for one another, to lift one another up. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that you're worrying about and stressing over, they'll be added unto you. And Jesus said, which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit of his stature? In other words, can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? No. He says, so why do you worry? (laughs) Jesus said, don't worry about your life. And when he said, don't worry about your life, that's a commandment. And if you're worrying, that's sin. Worrying means you don't think that God can look after all the daily details of your life. Also, worrying is a mild form of atheism and infidelity because you're behaving as if he didn't exist. Talk about God and how we believe in God and trust in God. But then, man, when we're starting to go through difficulties, it's like he doesn't exist. Like he's unfaithful. We're unfaithful. Sometimes we think that God doesn't care about our problems. 
nor our struggles, even if they're caused by our own sin and foolishness. But when we turn to God and we confess our sin and we repent, God will even carry the weight of those struggles, even though I caused them. He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You might be carrying heavy burdens of sin or other burdens. But Jesus frees people from all of these burdens. And the rest that Jesus promises us is his love. It's a healing peace with God. He doesn't promise the end of all of our labors or the end of all of our trials. But a rest from them. And a relationship with God changes empty, hard work into spiritual fruitfulness and purpose. And let God have all of your anxieties. You know, Paul told us in Philippians, be anxious for nothing. Don't give in to your circumstances. Give them to the Lord and submit to them. He's the one who controls our circumstances. And through prayer, let God know everything. Here in our, in, in our study night, Joab doesn't ask for victory. He did what he needed to do. He encouraged the people, let them know what they needed to do and said, God, whatever you want to do is okay with me. He didn't say, hey, Lord, you know, we're going to, you know, hey, give us this victory. He does better than that. Because you see, Joab doesn't look at this battle as between the Ammonites and Israel. He looks at it as the battle between the Ammonites and God. <laughs> Lord, this is your battle. You do what you think is right. He doesn't ask for victory. He simply says there in verse 13, Lord, do what is good in your sight. Lord, do whatever you think is best. This is the highest kind of faith and an example for all of us to follow. So the principle here in our, in our study tonight shown to us here is also found in the words of Philippians 2.12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God that works in you. And this applies to us in ev- to those, pe- those in every age and in every area of our life. The outcome of anything that we do for God depends mostly on the attitude we take it on with. When the battles of life come, do we do we grin and and bite the bullet and just complain and just, oh, you know? Or do we say, okay, Lord. Do what you think is right. We may go into a into the battle half heartedly. Or. Look at it as something that as something not that important. But we're to enter it into it wisely and carefully. With fear and trembling. But this fear and trembling isn't a nervous fear. Or a fearful trembling. What it is, it's a wholehearted and confident attitude. Being aware of our enemies and temptations, recognizing the danger And being ready for it. Joab skillfully planned for this battle. Just like a good commander should. But you see, after what he needed to do, 
he committed the rest to God. And he placed his total trust in God for the outcome. In every situation, difficulty, danger, or whatever the crisis might be in your life, we need to do like Joab. We need to make the very best plans. We need to use all the tools that we have. And after doing all that we can, we leave the outcome calmly and confidently in God's hands, feeling sure that whatever happens, it's all for good. (laughs) It's all for good. The kind of confidence will always sooner or later, this kind of confidence will always sooner or later be rewarded. Just like it was here. They did get the victory, though they didn't ask for it. Joab's faith and trust in God was rewarded with a great victory. And one day, it'll be the same for us. Whether it's today, tomorrow, or in glory, we will be rewarded for the the, the stands that we take in our faith and trust in God and letting Him do what He thinks is best. Father, thank you for this wonderful lesson, Lord. Father, and I pray now that God now, what are we going to do with it? God, these lessons are not just for us to get excited over and to tell others about, but they're to be applied to our own life. And Lord, help us, first of all, God, not to have suspicious minds, Lord, and jump to conclusions, God, and hurt people, divide people, hurt your church, Lord, that you died for, that you gave your blood for, God. Your word tells us over and over and over again, Listen to your word, God, to guide our life by your word, Lord, to trust your word, to stand upon your word, God, to live by your word. Not just when it's comfortable. Or it fits. But Lord, at all times. In all seasons, no matter what we're going through. But to do what we need to do. And then leave the rest in your hands. For you to do what you think is best. And whatever you do, Father. We are going to end up being blessed. If we will, if we will submit Father, to your purposes, though we may not know what they are. God, help us to be those kind of Christians, God, that live by the book. That live by the book, Father. Biblical Christians, God. Maybe you're here tonight and and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you're dealing with all kinds of struggles and battles. You need. 
You need the commander of our salvation, the captain of our salvation. You need him to lead and to fight the battles in your life. Because you'll come out beat up and bloodied and conquered, defeated. The worship team is going to lead us in a time of worship. If you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you want to join His army, then as we worship, you get up out of your seat, you make your way down the aisles towards the steps up front, and I'll meet you there. And when the song's over, we'll pray together a prayer of faith.